1: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun.
2: Sign up now at
1: chumbacasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. group void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
2: Hello and welcome to the last word on Spurs. We hope you're keeping very, very safe and well. Thank you so much for joining us as we build up to Crystal Palace to come. On Saturday, in the big match preview here on Last Word on Spurs, if you're listening to us for the first time, you can find us on iTunes, we're on Spotify, we're across all major audio platforms, we're of course on Twitter at Last Word on Spurs, we're on Facebook and Instagram too, and joining me on this Last Word on Spurs, I'm joined by Blue's very own, Last Word on Spurs' very own, the wonderful Anthony Costa is back on Last Word on Spurs. Joining Anne, we're joined by Anne Thuller from the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust, who gives us the lowdown on the fan advisory board. We've been holding that back until Anne Thuller joins us here, so really looking forward to having her on the show. And we're also joined by the wonderful Matty Hayes, who, of course, always gives us hard-hitting opinions on everything Tottenham Hotspur. But, Anne, I am going to open up the show with you. Look, we're going to have to do it to ourselves. We're going to have a quick recap on the back of the last week, which means... Just a brief, brief look back, of course, at that gutting, gutting display up at Anfield. And coming over to you, look, Spurs having shipped five goals in 21 minutes at Newcastle United on the previous Sunday, then saw Spurs 3-0 down after 15 minutes against Liverpool as the nightmare run of results were continuing. We saw Spurs fight their way back from three goals down to equalise in the 90th minute but only for Lucas Moura to allow Diego Yota to run through and score a late, late winner. But I want to ask you, Anne, on the back of that game, look, I think much has been made of the fact Spurs had come back twice to fight their way against Liverpool and United to try and earn points. They did it against United. They failed against Liverpool. Give me your overall thoughts of the game up at Anfield, and whether for you there is any positives we could take away from it.
3: To score three goals at Anfield is one thing. But to score three goals at Anfield and come away with nothing, it's been a very, very up and down season. In, in the mindset now of just play the games now and just see what happens. Um, and just, just go and have, hopefully the boys go and have fun, if that's a if that's a word I can use. I think the Newcastle game really took us back. I mean, you know, losing 6-1. Because the Man United game and the Liverpool game, they, they've all scored within like 10, 15 minutes of a match. So I think that is like, that's the that's the opposition's game set, isn't it? Game management. Go at them because they will make a mistake. And that's what Spurs do. They make mistakes left, right and centre.
2: Anthula, let me come round to you. Look, I think all of us feared the worst after trailing 3-0 after 15 minutes before. We have to say Spurs did mount an incredible fight back to level things up at 3-3. Of course, we should never have been in the situation where we were 3-0 down in the first place. But ultimately, as we've seen with Tottenham, things are never straightforward. And, you know, again, Sunday's game proved that. And I think definitely showcase the very best and the very worst and ugly of Tottenham, all in the space of 94 and a bit minutes. I'd love to know your thoughts on the back of that Liverpool game and whether you feel for you if there's any positives we can take out of that, given Spurs were, what, seconds away from a point up at Anfield. It would have only been, of course, just two points in a week, but it would definitely have changed the feel-good factor around the club. So how do you feel on the back of that Anfield display now looking back?
4: Oh, no here we go again, thinking back to Newcastle. And I was like, why do we always start games slow? Why do we always let people put pressure on us and attack us and then get early goals? And why are we always on the back foot every bloody game? And then, like Anthony said, to be fair, Liverpool backed off a bit, which allowed us to play. And then we started to play more attacking football. And actually, I haven't seen that attacking football for a little while. So I was was thinking, is that because of the backlash from... Newcastle? Is it because Ryan Mason has now stepped in? Not quite sure, but it was quite nice to see us play a bit more attacking football. But then it was because Liverpool had backed off. Um, So it was brilliant. I thought credit to the boys to like come back and get back to equalising, to be fair to them, especially at Anfield. It's a tough place to, to go and a tough place to score goals. But then we just made another error and all that hard work Went out the window basically and that and that that sums up spurs right if only we could defend we we've never had a problem attacking we can attack that's fine but if only we could defend eh?
2: matt coming over to you i'm doing my best to try and search for positives in amongst the mess that is tottenham Hotspur football club i think what liverpool display did tell us and taught us is that you know it's a reminder spurs do have dangerous players and can actually play a brand of football that is actually quite entertaining on the eye and a reminder to teams that we can hurt the opposition. And that's what Spurs did more than once, of course. Herminson scoring, Harry Kane scoring. I just wonder for you, Matt, you know, when you see the way we play there, especially in that second half, whether we can use that as a platform moving forward in these final four remaining games. I, I think
0: I'm the same as you, Ricky. I just want to see some positives. You know, obviously the, the starts against Newcastle, United and and Liverpool were were absolutely diabolical. It, it should never happen. But the way we fought back in, in, in the last couple of games and the way we pressed, especially in, in that game against Liverpool, you know, we, we, we played against their weaknesses. We know they're they, they can be sloppy in possession at the back. You know, they were complacent as you would be, I suppose, when you're when you're three 0 up after fifteen minutes. And we were able to, to take advantage of that. And in, in the second half, even though we did sit back for a lot of it, we looked very solid. And again, a subpar Liverpool team, but they, they didn't really have a chance Outside of the three goals they scored, maybe a half chance for for Gakpo um, in in the first half. But you know, if, if we had been told after that game against Newcastle that we'd, we'd go to Liverpool and from minute fifteen to minute ninety, we'd look more like more likely to score. I think we all would have taken that. But it's it's those starts of the games and it's individual errors. Um, I think Dyer and Romero are blamed for that third goal, especially just poor marking for the first couple of goals, starting slowly. It's the same issues we're having time and time and time again. But those are issues that can be addressed by whatever manager comes in next. You know, it's not like we're looking at what Ryan Mason is doing now and thinking, well, that's what we have for the foreseeable future. We're looking at, a defence and a goalkeeper that is going to be changed and then the quality that we actually have going forward up the pitch, which gives us a little bit of hope and a a bit of platform that that we can push on from. So I'm not, by any stretch of the imagination, happy with with what's happened in the last week. Um, I'm not here going to say oh yeah, we're definitely getting top four next season but it's just nice to see us scoring a couple of goals again and and even if it's just little glimpses in games, playing good football and playing the, the way that we want to play but my God, there is still so, so much work to do and so much recruitment that needs to be done in the summer.
2: Now the conversation that we're having there very kindly leads me into the next part of the show, which is in the element of European football, about how we feel right now in terms of if we want Spurs to have European football, if we don't, if we'd be satisfied with the Europa League or the Conference League or simply no football at all, European-wise. And I want to start with you. Look, I think, as I've said there, to be positive, that we've seen plenty of fight And Spirit in the past two games, but we've only got one point of a possible six, which now firmly does kill off any real hopes of Champions League football and put Spurs in a position where they're in a fight now with Aston Villa and Brighton, who have three games in hand and one Europa League place and one Conference League spot in the final four league fixtures up for grabs about how we feel about European football. I'd be keen to know from you, look, with the opportunity of qualifying for Europa League, Europa Conference League, how you feel and whether you'd want to qualify for those competitions or whether you do feel Spurs are suited to having a year completely out of Europe, a hard reset to try and rebuild the side. So really keen to get your thoughts on what you would like in terms of European football or no European football for the next season ahead
3: you've asked me this last year Rick yes Europe is essential but not this season not the way we've been playing not the way we've we've fallen off a cliff um I think it's essential now to get a manager in ASAP to assess the squad that the manager needs who he wants who he doesn't want who he wants to sell don't forget we've got all these players coming back on loan then you're back to square one again sussing out who he wants he might want sell Celso, he might want to give Undele a chance. We don't know. And, and and the thing is, by that time, we could be mid-June, end of end of June, July, and the season starts a couple of weeks later. So for me, in answer to your question, I don't I don't think we need I don't think European footballs is what we need at the moment for next season.
4: I think the money for the club is in the Champions League. So if we're not going to finish in the Champions League spot, which we're not, I think we should finish outside of Europe and actually spend time sorting the, the stuff out, the, the shit out yeah. basically that's happening on yeah. the pitch. sort ourselves out, work out who we want to be, what style of foot we want to play, get a manager in, back the manager and find some footing again and find some consistency. So for me, I think for the good of the club, we shouldn't finish in a, in a U- Europe spot. And also those European games, especially in the Conference League, they're a bitch. You're, you're going across to Eastern Europe. It's really far, really time Consuming, really knackering for the players. It's not like the Champions League. And it's, you'd be playing Thursday, Sunday football. That's going to kill us, absolutely kill us next season. So you wouldn't, I don't think you'd want that.
2: You know what, Matt, come around to you. I have to argue this point that, you know, many, of course, feel Spurs have to be in the Champions League. And I make this point and joke about it all the time that, you know, Spurs being in the Champions League, it's all very well being in there. But you don't generally ever feel Spurs ever got a chance to win it. So I look at the Europa League and, again, for a fear of offending some people here, is the Europa League not more our level? I mean, that's a winnable competition. When you look at, of course, next season to come, Liverpool are going to strengthen, Chelsea are going to strengthen under, of course, who we know is going to be going there. You then look at Arsenal, they're also going to invest as well. Newcastle are going to come again. So that Europa League does give Tottenham an opportunity to get into the Champions League through that avenue. I, I just wonder whether, I understand some of saying, look, you know, we've got to sort the so in the most politest way, the crap out in terms of both on and off the pitch. And therefore, maybe a season out of Europe would do Spurs, you know, the world are good. But I am just wondering, Spurs have got quite a big squad. You know, it's a number of players that are going to need game time. And I, I just the more I think about it, I think Europa League I'd be more open to, purely on the basis that it's a competition that Spurs can qualify in the Champions League through. And we've got to keep the squad happy. And I'm not sure if you can keep the size of the squad Spurs have got happy when... You're only going to be playing one game a week. What do you think, Matt, for you on that question?
0: Um, I'm going to run the risk of insult or offending, insulting even more people than when you said the Europa League is our level. I don't think we can win any of them. To be perfectly honest, we're, we're, we're never going to win the Champions League. Um, cool. Let's let's be perfectly honest. to say right now, we're not going to win it. In the Europa League, every year I've seen us in it, I've thought, yeah, do you know what, maybe we could, and then we go to Ghent and we lose, or we go to you know, uh, who was a, uh, Dean was Zagreb. Uh, is that lose. down, Matt, to the players but,
2: not taking it, taking it seriously? I mean, I, I think if you've got a manager a manager in there. Like, <laughs> If we get a manager in that is a competent manager that has been throughout European competition, you know, there's names, of course, of Nagelsmann being linked, Ruben Aberin being linked now. I just wonder if you have a manager that actually has she's got the mindset of taking the competition seriously. Because I think the issue you may have had is under Conte and Mourinho that maybe Europa League was a little bit, you know, above them. But even Mourinho, you how much actually loved the fact of winning even the conference league. I think it's mm-hmm. the group of players you've got to convince more than the managers. I mean, do you generally feel that Spurs wouldn't approach it with a winning mentality next season if they were in, the, in Europe?
0: Uh, yeah, no, I, I really do. And look, I, I think winning the Europa League, winning any trophy, you know, when you've been on a, what is it, 15-year drought at this stage, winning any trophy is, is absolutely fantastic. But, Honestly, the way I'm looking at these competitions, because I I don't feel we will win any of them, is what can we get out of them if we don't win it? Because if you end up in the Europa League and you lose the final, that's the worst case scenario. Because you've played Thursday night football every like the whole way throughout the season. You're playing Sunday, that game that nobody watches, that's just those those disgusting games. You're going to lose points in the league as a result of the the European hangover from Thursday night. So I I think whoever the manager is with this group of players, we're not going to win any of them. Because there's a mentality within this dressing room and within this squad that no matter how many winners you put in there, this toxic mentality in the squad just seems to take over. I mean, remember that, that season when we brought in Jose, Jose, obviously a serial winner. We brought in Joe Hart, who, who had won almost every trophy there was to win at Manchester City. We brought in, um well, Heiber that summer, who, who won a couple of things at Bayern Munich. There was a bit of a winning mentality going in there. And before you know it, they're all, they're all like Eric Dyer, and they're making mistakes every other weekend. And they're, you know, we're, we're just not winning anything. For me, I'm what I'm looking from these things is what we can get out of it. If we don't win, if we get champions league and we don't win it, we get a damn lot of money, um, which I know people can have their, their say about whether or not the board will invest that in the squad. But I think we've seen in the last couple of years, there is investment going in there. Maybe not as much as we want or in the right places, but it's going in. Um, You have players being attracted to the club uh, when you're in the champions league. Um, Great, great games of football, which I have to say that we, we all love those. If you don't win the Europa league, you get nothing. If you don't win the conference league, you get nothing for me. I'm not going to sit here and say, well, I hope Spurs lose the rest of their games this season and we finish eighth. I want us to win every game this season, but I also don't really want us in the Europa or Conference League. So it's it's a bit of a tough one there. But I, I think our priority needs to be getting back to absolute basics and just putting together a structure um on the pitch and off the pitch that we can use to propel ourselves back to, to where we want to be. I, I personally don't want to settle for for Europa League or Conference League. I want to, I you know, I want to end big because I think that is what Tottenham with the fan base that we have and with some players that are in there, that is what we can achieve. Um, and if it takes a year or two of um, of no York to, to kind of reset and get to that level, I'm, I'm okay with that. But for me, the only good thing that we can get out of Europa or Conference League is just play the kids, give them some experience. Um, aside from that, there's just no benefit there for me.
2: It'll be interesting to see, how they approach these next three, four games. Now, of course, Spurs haven't got, you'd say, easy games on paper, of course. Palace, they're rejuvenating the Roy Hodgson. We're going to come on to in a little bit. You look at the fact Aston Villa now have been flying under Unai Emery. Of course, they suffered a defeat against Manchester United. But apart from that, their home has been really impeccable under him. And such is Villa's form that they now find themselves level on points with us, of course, at the moment, that obviously can be subject to change. And then even Brentford at home, I don't think you can say that's a three points, the way Brentford have been really a really difficult game. And then now last game of the season, we know Leeds United away with Big Sam in there. I mean, I think Big Sam Allardyce will be looking at that Tottenham game, targeting all three points. When you look at what Leeds have got to come. Definitely for them, that game will be crucial in terms of where they'll be staying up.
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
4: With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: Hi
5: everyone, Crackers here with the rundown for your upcoming events. Friday the 19th of May, Hardwick AFC have a fundraiser evening with Dean Saunders at Hardwick Social Club in Gloucestershire. Friday the 26th of May, H2O Promotions have an evening with Razor Ruddock at Dartford FC. Saturday the 23rd of June, Michael Dawson is at Hereford FC for the Herefordshire Official Spurs Supporters Club thursday the 14th of september the one and only alan brazil is at mumbai square restaurant near liverpool street station in central london that's an evening with alan a two-course curry meal meet and greet and everything else you get with such a great evening please go to close encounter dot events for further details and tickets so there you go I'm at Mr. Cracknell across the social room where I'll put up details of all these events, posters, etc. Cheers, then.
1: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
2: A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah,
1: oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, forward, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Now, the next subject on last one on Spurs that we do want to bring up is in relation to Harry Kane. Now, many will probably feel there's not many headlines around Kane at the moment in terms of his future. But I couldn't help on the back of the interview that he gave after the Liverpool games to Sky Sports. Just see his body language and just see the way he feels right now. And almost saying that at the moment, of course, he plays in the moment. And essentially for him, you know, he'll give his absolute everything whilst he's at Tottenham. But I just wonder there was a great article that Dan Kilpatrick wrote in The Standard about whether Spurs are likely to play on emotion and legacy in contract talks with Kane. Almost saying, look, stay here and you'll get a statue and immortality. Or whether for Kane, ultimately, it is purely about trophies. And just to open, if I can, this particular subject. It's one that with Harry, look, I think he's a Tottenham man. We all would love to see him stay and ultimately be successful at Spurs. But I do think there's fans out there that actually would... Suggest maybe Harry does deserve the move in order to win trophies, but I will add that caveat. Harry has been part of a number of sides at Tottenham which ultimately have got to semi finals and finals that haven't got over the line. So, really intrigued in this debate just to find out from you whether you feel Harry Kane, almost his time at the club, is up and whether he should be allowed to move on, or you think whether Harry can still achieve what he wants to at Tottenham with a good manager a decent appointment and ultimately the full focus on being a legend at Tottenham and having as what Dan Kilpatrick's put in that almost article, legendary status. A statue, immortality. Where do you stand on the debate about Harry Kane and his long-term future at present?
3: I personally, this is my personal opinion. Again, everyone's entitled to their opinion. I think he will stay next season, whoever the manager is, try and win something. I know it's laughable, but try and win something and then go, I'm done. I'm off. I'm off ski. Um, he's got a year left, as we always know. Um, it ends next season, and I think that he's going to give his his all for one last time, one last hurrah. Um, stay, and then hopefully build a team around him. But he has. It, it's hard because it all depends on the manager and who that manager is, and if he's a type of manager that will put his arm around his shoulder and say, "Listen, I'm 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 building the team around you. You're my number one." Or, my, or a manager that probably doesn't want him. Could you imagine the manager coming and going, no, no, we need to sell you now, Harry. You need to go. You know, you've got to respect what the manager wants. Whatever the manager wants, we have to back that person. I personally don't think he'll leave.
4: Is Levy going to risk him going on a free when he could make some money on him?
3: This is it. And again, mm. we're, we're coming back to that. He wants to make money and rightly so. You know, we need to sell up. Uh, if you want to sell the best asset of our club, then yeah, absolutely. But... I just think my gut is telling me that he will stay and try and, and try and leave, but hopefully by winning yeah. something. I
0: really I do.
4: He'll stay in the Premier League because he wants to make that record. He, he wants, wants to, break to break that record, record right? he? He'll stay yeah. in the Premier League, and I think he could potentially go to Man United. That's just my opinion.
2: Matt, to come over to you with Kane, you know, a really great article this week from Dan Kilpatrick in The Standard. Uh, he's alluding to the fact that Spurs are likely to plan a motion and legacy in terms of the contract talks for Kane, almost saying that stay here and you'll get a statue and immortality, maybe a trophy, depending on the next manager comes in and how Spurs are going to end up in those cup competitions the next season. I just, again, wonder whether that's enough for Kane now, whether he looks around him and thinks I deserve a lot better than what I'm being served. But again, I will reference that point that I said at the start of this topic that Kane has been part of a number of teams that have got to semi-finals and finals and has also been part of the reason why we haven't got over the line. So I just wonder for you, Matt, where you stand on the Harry Kane debate and whether you feel he will give the rest of his career to Tottenham or ultimately the trophies, what he ultimately craves, are going to lead him down a different path.
0: Um, I, I think he's gone this summer, to be perfectly honest. Um, I, I, I do think it's it's a lose-lose situation here for for Daniel Levy and for the board. Um, I mean, they make, they make countless mistakes, but in this one, you either... You sell Harry Kane now for 100 million and Tottenham fans are annoyed that you sell him or you let him go on a free next season and Tottenham fans are annoyed that you let him go on a free. You know, I, I do think he's stuck between a rock and a hard place at this point. Um, and to be quite frank, I don't think he has any any anything on his side to, to bargain with Harry Kane here. You know, I, I hope to God that they're using legacy and emotion to, to try and tempt him to stay because if they were going to say to Harry Kane, we're going to build a squad around you and we're going to win a trophy and Harry Kane believes that again, He's an idiot, to be quite honest, because how many times has that been said to Harry Kane by this board? How many times have we said, you know, we'll, we'll do this and this and this and we'll build this team? And, and it just hasn't happened. Um, I, I would love nothing more than, and I know every Tottenham fan here is the same, would love nothing more than for Harry Kane to stay at Spurs for his career to to break the, the record that, that Alan Shearer has in place. what I think he's going to do if he stays in the Premier League um, and even just to lift one trophy for Spurs. But at, at this point, it's it's just not feasible. You know, the, the the owners have and the board have said it, have sold him too many false promises at this point. And if I were him, I'd want to leave. So I don't know why I can sit here and say, well, he shouldn't want to leave. And I agree with Antulla that the, the most likely thing here is that he goes to Manchester United because he's not going to go to City now. They've got Haaland. Uh Liverpool don't have the money. I, I can't see him making that move across to Chelsea. He's obviously not going to join Arsenal. Um, United back in the top four, back in the Champions League already won a trophy this season in another final and looking on the up with Eric Ten Hag building a solid squad. I think for Kane it would be a clever move to go to Manchester United and it hurts me to say that. I, I can't see him leaving um, leaving England because that record is well within his grasp for if he has another three seasons there. The only, the only thing that I can see keeping him at Spurs this year is that he won't want to go abroad and Daniel Levy will do everything he can to not sell him to another Premier League team. So it, we could just be at an impasse here but I, I think we are watching the last few games of, of Harry Kane in a Spurs jersey and it, it, it really hurts. But, you know, I don't think any Spurs fan can hold any bit of a grudge towards him or any, oh, any bad um, bad feelings. Maybe excluding the, the couple of finals where you could argue we should have given more. But there were 13, 14 other players that wore a jersey that day that should have given a little bit more as well. And if it wasn't for Harry Kane, they wouldn't have had that opportunity. So, yeah, it's it's a very tough situation. But I personally think he'd be leading the line at Old Trafford.
2: What manager keeps him? Me I mean, well, that's... But I think Poch would have done. Mm
0: -hmm. I think he's the only
2: one. I mean, again, a question for you here. You know, do you worry even Poch? I think Kane would look at the situation with Chelsea. Again, this is why with me a little bit with Pochettino, we've not really touched on it too much, but I am a little bit surprised that I know obviously Poch would have loved to have had even a a contact from Tottenham it hasn't happened. And the fact that he's going to Chelsea, the man wants to work. I get that, but... I find still that very uncomfortable with the Chelsea move. And I think, again, it's almost difficult for him now to ever foresee a way back to Tottenham after making that move to Chelsea, which sounds absolutely mad, given the fact how Spurs have taken so many Chelsea managers over the course of the last four or five years. But again, yeah. I, I just wonder, do you think Kane could he ever consider a move to Chelsea? That would surely tarnish his legacy at Tottenham, wouldn't it?
3: Um, I'd hate to see him in a Chelsea shirt. Trust me, like like we all would. But what can you do? You can't... Will it ruin his legacy? I think it will be a sour taste in our mouths for sure. But he might not win any- if he goes to Chelsea. They might not win anything. Like they're not—they've got Europe next season. They haven't won yeah. anything this season. Yeah. So, you know, if it weren't for Tuchel at the beginning of the season, they'll be fighting relegation now. if We were talking—they like would this. be.
2: They would be. Yeah. So,
3: you know, luckily things like in the last sort of eight nine years, we haven't been in that position. If he does go, I can only see him going abroad. But. Again, I think he's I think I think he's gonna stay another year just to see who the new manager is, see their ideas. Listen, what if he stays another year, loves it back you know, gets the love back and then signs an extension? We're all winners then, aren't we?
4: I want him to stay. I think I, I said it on Sky Sports, I think that they should be doing everything they possibly can to make him stay. But the reality is he wants to win things as well. He's ambitious, right? So is is our club going to show that they have a strategy in place and that they're going to do that for him and build a team around him and get a manager in that's going to do that? That's the question here. Mm -hmm. If they're not going to do that, Kane's going to want to be out the door. And then you're being forced, well, Levy's being forced either, Okay, Kane wants to force a move. Am I going to sell him now or let him go on a free next year? Because that's that will be the next question. What do you think Levy's going to do? I don't know. I mean, the... The best thing to do for us is to keep him and let him go on a free the following year. But can he afford to lose the money that he would get for him? Yeah. We've never replaced Berbatov. Kane just fell into our hands. He just came yeah. from our youth. We've never actually replaced Berbatov since he That's left. That's a great shot. And yeah. our recruitment strategy is rubbish. Yes, we've we've put in loads of money, actually. we spent a lot of money in transfer windows. But if you look at that list, I mean, my two colleagues from the Trust were on... Last word of Spurs not that long ago, and they, Henry, listed out our transfer windows year on year. And some of those names, it's bloody shocking. Our, oh. our recruitment strategy is awful, it and is... that's something that needs to be fixed.
2: just wonder, Matt, I mean, do you feel there's any way you can tug on the harshings of Kane in relation to, you know, selling him the opportunity of having a stand named after him, a statue, even though we hear that Spurs don't do statues really of players? Is that going to mean anything really for Harry Kane, or do you think the guy? From what I gauge, when every does an interview, he's all about winning. That's the most important thing to me: is winning and legacy with Harry Kane.
0: Yeah, it, look, it's it, it's a tough one, and I, I think the vast majority of footballers, you know, if if they were in this position, you'd say, well, they they go away and win trophies. But every now and again, every now and then, you get these players who who are just so so loyal, even if it is at, at their own expense. Um, and I'm hoping beyond hope that Harry Kane is one of those players. But I think especially in, in, in the modern era when any fan outside of Tottenham, they say, yeah, Kane's great, but he hasn't won anything. I think that that as much as Kane can say he doesn't care about that, that, that will matter to him. You know, he he won't want to be remembered as one of the greatest strikers of all time, but he didn't even win a community shield. You know, like he, he, he will be remembered as the guy who won the Audi Cup, you know, in, in, in the eyes of... And that, that's completely wrong. It's just in the eyes of the modern football fan who... You know, probably doesn't even watch football and just tweet something stupid at the end of the game um, and I do think that will matter to Harry Kane um, and I, I had this debate with a few a few people at work recently and they, they were saying that they think Harry Kane would go to, to Bayern Munich and take a few Bundesliga titles and I said well for me I think the, the record of the Premier League goal score is the most important thing to him but there's realistic opportunity there for him to still break that record and still win trophies and that's Manchester United and I, I don't think it's in Tottenham's hands at the moment. I, I think it's it's just purely down to Harry Kane. No matter what we say, if it's a statue, if it's a stand in the stadium, no matter what it is, that legacy that he could have as this one club man, the greatest player to ever don the, the the Tottenham jersey, which he arguably already is. I I, I don't think that's going to be enough for him. Um, and it's just what Man United can offer him, and just. in in, in his heart of hearts what he actually wants. And and no one will know that other than him.
5: Phoenix 51 is a powerful
3: employee technology, enabling organizations to make data-driven decisions at every stage of the employee journey, from hiring through benchmarking and development too. The platform provides detailed analytics on the most important asset in your business, your people, enabling organizations not only to make the correct hiring decisions, but also how to benchmark, train, and retain them. Phoenix 51, powering your people decisions through every part of the employee journey.
2: I do want to turn the attention to the next manager, or the lack of the next manager at the moment, Anthula, coming around to you, because there is massive pressure now on Daniel Levy to get the next one right. I mean, again, many will feel like he's had about 15, 20 lives to get the next one right. And we always keep saying, yeah, but he's only got one last chance. We've been saying that for the last six appointments, I think, with Daniel and the managerial situation. You know, interestingly, we did see an interview this week um, on talk sport from uh, Spurs' former head of elite identification and development, David Webb, who was asked if Daniel Levy had ever said no to certain signs. He said, yes, there were cases where I was at Spurs. We had players in the building that we should have potentially signed that would have helped Pochettino at the time. That didn't go through various aspects. There were questions being raised that sometimes if we had acquired that player that certain time, it could have steered Tottenham in a different direction. When you hear words like that and there's other managers that are looking at Tottenham, again, I think managers will be very, very fearful of coming in right now in terms of what they're going to be getting themselves into. We've heard reports that Julian Nagelsmann, there's a stumbling block there because he would ultimately like to know who the director of football is going to be before he wants to advance talks with Spurs. How do you see this managerial adventure playing out this time around, if I can call it that?
4: I think... I'll say similar to what I said to you about Conte. I think it doesn't matter who the manager is if the board are not going to give them the tools to succeed. So I think if you're going to get in a manager, you need to back their style of pay, play, buy the players, get have a recruitment strategy that is going to buy the players that is going to fit their style. So if you're not going to have any of that, then just forget the whole conversation in general on who your director of football is going to be and who who the manager is going to be. It doesn't matter if you're going to get a manager in and a director of football that's going to complement that and then have a strategy in place that's going to get the players that's needed to play the style of football they want to play. Then you're on to a win. So it really comes down to are the board going to change tact? Are they going to learn from their mistakes and are they going to change their ways to help us to succeed? That's my question. So for me, I think I'm not even thinking about who I want to be the next manager because that doesn't fall into play with me until I re- I know if the board are going to change their, their tact with things. That's where I stand.
2: But it's the issue, Matt, isn't it? I mean, we've seen them go for so many different types and calibre of managers, you know, from the win now managers to the project managers, to the disciplinarians. You do wonder, you know, what type they'll go for next. There seems to be alludements to the fact that Spurs will now go for more of a project manager. But again, I, you know, there's got to be an element of patience from fans. But I think Anthony makes a great point there. How can you be patient? How can you show a willingness if you're not sure if whoever they're going to go for is going to be adequately backed? You know, we're hearing reports, as we recall this show, that Spurs have sounded out Ruben Amerim of, of course, one of our previous opponents that we've seen, of course, in the Champions League. And again, I just wonder whether, again... Whoever that next manager is going to be, are they going to get the time? And even more so, Matt, should Spurs be looking to get a new director of football in before they get the manager in, given that should be the person that should actually be setting the trend as to the almost, you would say, fulfillment and the success of how Spurs should go in these next few years? Because ultimately, when a manager leaves, it's the director of football that should be there, the the constant that drives that recruitment, that drives that next manager, that makes sure that you've got a culture, you've got a vision. What do you make for the on that map?
0: Yeah, I, I think in, in, in the modern game you need a director of football and for for the exact reason that you've mentioned, because managerial turnover at the moment is I mean, it's it's at a rate it's never been. You know, there's four teams in the Premier League who've sacked two managers this season, and there's eleven teams who don't have the same managers they did on, on, on the first of August. You know, you're no matter what you are, unless you get incredibly lucky with a Klopp or with uh with a guardiola or dare I say it with an Arteta. You're, you're going to have a, a high managerial turnover. You, you need that constant, and you need someone who, you know, a, obviously Pratchett didn't work out, but someone who can get a manager with a philosophy. If that doesn't work out, get another manager with the same or similar philosophy. So we're not in a situation like we are now where we have players that potch brought in to attack and to press and to be exciting uh, the new players that Jose Mourinho brought in to sit as close to the goal as you possibly can and then kick the ball far for son and then Conte who brought in players to who who knows what he wanted them to do you know we we have such a that makes a match that if you have that director of football who can keep the same sort of philosophy the same style of manager time and time again who knows football better than daniel levy knows football well then sacking managers every 18 months might not be the worst thing in the world it's still not the way we need to go for success but that is really important and then when you're looking at, like you mentioned, giving the manager time, for me, the next manager that we bring in, I'm, I'm not going to have any hope or optimism or anything, no matter who the manager is. But the, the one thing that could make me think, well, maybe the tide is turning is if they sign a four or five-year contract. Because like I mentioned earlier with the European competition, we need a hard reset. We need a poch 2.0 who can come in and he can get rid of this player, this player, this player, this player, strip the squad down to absolutely nothing and start to build it up again in, in the style that they want and with the players that that they want. Um the worry is Daniel Levy probably won't do that because if he ends up having to sack that guy in 12 months, it's a massive payout that I don't think he's willing to willing to do. But last week, Ralph Rangnick did uh, an interview with, with Sky Sky Germany and he put this incredible option on a silver platter for Daniel Levy, where he said, Julian Nagelsmann should take this job. He needs a director of football. Hint, hint. It's going to cost a lot of money. Bayern needs compensation. Nagelsmann needs compensation. Um, Rangnick in the Austrian job. I'm sure there'll have to be some sort of compromise there or if not a compromise, compensation. But I don't see why that's not something worth doing. You know, the, the two of them have worked together in the past. They've shown how successful they can be. Rangnick, who I think to in, in, in English football has a bad reputation because of the way things went at Manchester United. He's not a manager, but he's a damn good director of football. And he's, he's incredible at talent identification. And, you know, I think we saw it in the first couple of games at United. He can instill what he believes into the players extremely quickly. And that's what we need at Tottenham. We need players singing from the same, same hymn sheet as the manager, as the director of football, as the chief scout, as the assistant manager for the under-16s. We need this. We need the club to be one again. And without our director of football, I, I don't see how that happens. And I'd be extremely annoyed if Levy doesn't at least try and, and make that Ralph Anglic with Nagel's own as our manager.
2: Again, coming out of you, you know, again, we've seen again from this interview this week, David Webb suggesting, you know, how involved Daniels in player acquisition. He advised, well, he did say Daniel likes to have a hands-on role in that when it came to the final phase. He would like to know what's going on. He would like to have his say. And even in terms of player selection based upon talent, he said, yeah, he had an opinion on that. I think that sometimes that causes a conflict of interest. You know, it's not a good thing when you hear that you've got the chairman involved with potential player selection. I mean, that is, again, a worry for anybody coming in and listening to that from the outside. I just feel with Tottenham, until they find out and know what they want to be, like I think Matt and Thilla have alluded to, we're not going to really know the direction of the club here. I mean, you know, again, we've heard Chabi Alonso being linked. And again, I know these are only names right now. There's nothing concrete, and that's the nature of the room and meal that we find when there's, you know, a managerial merry-go-round. Does anybody out there, Anne, inspire you or you see anybody out there that would kind of give you hope that Spurs could bring them in and have a plan moving forward? No, not
3: unless, as as Matty said, if they sign a a good enough long-term contract. And I don't think... No no one excites me. They play good football, but they're going to come here and ruin their rep because we haven't got the players to play their way. Because we haven't had a manager come in straight away after Conte to implement his style of play, to get ready for pre-season. As I said when we started talking. because. You know we're going to hire a manager end of june and then we're going on a pre-season tour a week later two weeks later to asia so well, there's no there's no time to implement his style of play they're gonna to have to start working i don't know it's just so complicated because i know for a fact whoever comes in they're going to be gone in two years so uh, it is what it is like i'm not going to get excited and i hate i hate feeling like that but that's the truth that's how i personally feel
2: how because they've you... got all
3: these players coming back, and it's a big load of mm. it's just a skip full of like load of things in. Do you know what I mean? And they've got to try and <laughs> take out who they want. It's just gonna be an absolute mess, mate. I'm dreading next season already.
2: And Phil, so do you do you think again if the ambition would be if, if you see a a director of football come in first rather than the manager, does that give you some feeling? Obviously, we know Scott Scott Money's there, and again he was pictured this week with Daniel Levy. Again, I don't know if that was a deliberate ploy of the picture. I mean, again, it's one of those where were they being deliberately pictured upon rumours that they were flying out to Germany? I don't know. I mean, how do you feel Scott Munn will maybe change the game, essentially, for Tottenham? Do you think that, again, is a step where Daniel is looking to, you know, relinquish some control and allow somebody else to come in and handle the footballing operation?
4: In terms of Scott Munn, I hope so. But my my scepticism makes me think probably not. Uh, I think Daniel levy probably won't relinquish his control in terms of director of football I think I completely agree with what Matt said to be honest um if you you have to bring one in that's gonna harmonize the whole strategy at the club they're gonna they're gonna hire a manager that has a clear style of play then they're gonna keep the players that fit that get rid of the ones that don't buy in the gaps that we need to fill and there's a lot of gaps and we have a lot of deadwood in our squad quite frankly um, most of them are out still on loan as well so i think there's a lot of work to be done over the summer a lot of work and how that's going to be done i don't know but we and and that's probably another reason why i don't want us to finish in europe because there is a lot of work to do we're kind of we're we're kind of firefighting at the moment this season and we really need to regroup over the summer and try and work out how we're going to go forward because it's just been rubbish after rubbish different managers chopping and changing how they want to play and it's a mess so yeah I do think we need need a director of football in and we need some some power to be relinquished and having a clear recruitment strategy football strategy in place to take us forward over the next however many years
2: yeah look I, I do agree with that before we look ahead to Palace Anthony, I just want to ask you uh, we haven't had a chance to cover it here on last one on Spurs, and it's great to have you on because of the new fan advisory board which Tottenham Hotspur have launched. I thought the timing of it was very, very interesting, of course, upon Ryan Mason being well being appointed the acting Tottenham Hotspur head coach. That's now, uh, that's now been used twice by Tottenham in terms of the acting head coach. Um, I have to say, look, where we are right now, Spurs obviously have launched this new fan advisory board in an attempt, you would say, to encourage fan engagement and ensure there is a wide representation for supporters. I mean, I think it's fair to say that the relationship between the club and the supporters is not at its best right now. And fans have been left frustrated by poor results and performances from the team. And look, and it's been perceived, it's a lack of ambition and investment from the club's board. Give me your thoughts if you can, Athula, on the fan advisory board, what you thought it's going to do for the football club. And ultimately, really. If you genuinely feel fans are going to have a voice in this process,
4: yeah. So um, the fan advisory board has kind of been a thing that we've been working on for the last eighteen months. Um, it came out of the fan-led review that happened after the whole ESL debacle, um, where it came out that they said that the that clubs need to have a better fan engagement with their with their fans, and actually quite a lot of clubs have already start set up their advisory boards. Um, So there's been a lot of sort of back and forth with the club for the last 18 months to get that constitution in place for the FAB. Um, I think the FAB is brilliant. I think it's a a positive step forward for fan engagement because they're obliged to to take on fan advice um, and fan opinion. Uh, One of the points that they cover in that is priorities and plans, um, which can include our strategies, essentially. So they have to... They have to listen to that. You, they meet four times a year. Um, yes, that's right. Two of them, two of the places are f- are for the supporters trust. That's true. And there's ten there's ten places up to grab. Some of them are um, you can apply for. So there's a season ticket po- play, position, a members position, uh, an a overseas supporters club position, and a domestic supporters position as well. Um, I encourage people to apply if they want to get involved. I think it is a really positive step forward. They do have to listen, whether they take on everything you say, that's up to them, but it really gives the fans a voice. So I would encourage people to apply, and I'm hoping that it's a positive step forward in terms of trying to get our points across more so in the boardroom.
2: I think the one question that's kind of coming out from a lot of people already just on here is... Are they ultimately going to see, you know, when we say it's, it's, it's obviously a positive step forward by the club, are they going to really see a, a change in tact of the board? Is it going to be really a change in voice there is the ultimate question, you know, or is this almost again a ploy to please the fans that they're opening up this avenue in which, let's be honest about it, right now, Then as much good faith as much as they can, given the nature yeah. of how poor the season has been yet again.
4: Yeah, no, I get that. And I think... Whatever the club's motivations are the club's motivations, I think it's up to us as fans to really take this opportunity and, pu- and put our voices in front of them. Because, you know, with the Trust, they don't actually have to speak to us. We literally bang on the door to get them to speak to us. They don't, they're not obliged to. With this, they are obliged to listen to fans. And I think that's a key step forward. It's one of the newest things in terms of fan engagement for them to have to listen to, the, to that board. So I think... It's what we make of it as well. I think you can go in there and be sceptical about it, but at the end of the day, that's, you know, there's no point then really, is there? So we need to sort of see this as a positive and try and think about how we can use that fab as an influence from fans.
2: Listen, we shall see Anthony. Thank you so much for bringing us up to date on that. What we are going to do, we are going to go for our final break of the show. Taking that break, you're going to hear from D from the back of the Nest podcast, a Crystal Palace podcast as we look ahead to Palace to come.
1: What's going on, people? It's D from back of the Nest here for my preview ahead of the game on the weekend against Spurs from a Palace perspective. I'm excited by this game. When you look at what's happening over at Spurs, You guys are struggling quite a bit. Especially in terms of just freak results. The Liverpool game. I mean... You guys probably would hate me for saying this, but you can't be more Spurs than that. And I feel like there's been a few like that um, in recent times against Newcastle. And as a Palace fan, I'm looking forward to the game, but I'm also not getting ahead of myself as well. Because earlier on in the season, when you were also struggling, I was speaking with Ricky and he was telling me, you know, there's no way we lose to Palace; it's not going to happen. And what happened? We lost 4-0. So I know that you guys will be hungry for this game. But I think this is a very good time to play Spurs. And not just for Spurs' perspective, but also for Palace and how we're doing under Roy Hodgson. Ever since Roy Hodgson's come in and Vieira's left, probably makes you guys happy that hearing that Vieira's left. And I don't blame you. You've probably got bigger worries than worrying about Patrick Vieira. Um, we've we've transformed. We've absolutely transformed. It's, it's been more direct football. We've been more lethal in attack. We've scored about five goals to Leeds and literally destroyed their season There was in a, they were in a good run of form um, got some decent results along the way I think we've only lost one game since Roy Hodgson's come in and you know picked up uh, a lot of wins as well along the way and most recently we beat West Ham as well so in terms of the fan base we're relaxed we've stayed up uh, we're looking at this game thinking not that it's a free hit but we've got nothing really to be worrying about and and we're looking at the other side of things and I suppose there's there's a lot going on so you know, it should be an exciting game. I, I'm expecting goals. I'm expecting goals. But I'll talk about score predictions later on down the line. Let's talk about my probable starting lineup. So, how are we lining up under Roy Hodgson? I don't think you will expect. Much Difference From how we lined up Under Patrick Vieira It's more about Our approach Which has changed Which is a bit more direct We like to keep possession But we like to just Attack We don't keep possession For possession sake. When there's an opportunity We will attack At the defence And that is where We're getting These goals from Because we've got Attackers all along And the creative players But they just Didn't have the freedom That they have right now Under Roy Hodgson So in terms of the lineup, I think it'll be Sam Johnson in goal So that'll be a difference Ahead of Vicente Guaita He's come in Done, done a very good job uh, most, in most recent times and I feel like it'll be Joe Ward at right back alongside Mark Gahey which you guys are linked with and Jokie Madison at centre half and also at left back Tariq Mitchell who's also performing relatively decently I think the most underrated player at Palace has to be Jake Decore he should be starting as number six in a 4-3-3 formation and in front of him should be Jeffrey Schlupp and Eberici Eze who's been red on form down the left, Wilfred Zaha, on the right, Michael Alise, and up front, Jordan Ayew, who got a goal against West Ham, and not many people expect him as the outright striker, but, you know, we we had this one game ever since Wolf has come back from injury, that's Zaha, and there was a debate about whether Zaha should start up front, whether it should be Jordan Ayew, and... And in our, in our last game against West Ham it was IU and we scored four goals and we played some great football so I don't think there'll be any changes there uh, in terms of tactics I feel like we'll try hit Tottenham on a counter attack as you guys are at home we expect you guys to have a bit more possession saying that we'd like to keep possession as well we haven't lost that discipline but the main difference is, as I mentioned, is it's our directness. We're a bit more direct than we were and more dangerous on a counter-attack. So if you guys attack us and if you leave space in behind, we've got the players now to exploit them areas of the pitch. And, you know, in a 4-3-3 formation, it's attacking, it's not really defensive. Even if we're on a counter-attack, we still, you know, we, we still like to keep a bit of possession of the ball. So it'll be interesting to see our Tottenham line up because... I think their biggest and the most exciting part of this game as a Palace fan is looking at Eze looking at Elise and Zaha on the score sheet facing that Tottenham defence look saying this you'll probably keep a clean sheet but that Tottenham defence is there to get at and you guys just haven't been performing well defensively and I'm just wondering how you will approach the game because I feel like we'll, we will try to play our game keep in possession where, you know, when we don't have possession just try sit back hit you guys on a counter attack as fast as possible uh, but I wonder how Tottenham which is this game. Of course, um, I'll listen to the preview to see what you guys think about that. But in terms of my predicted result, as you can as you guys can tell, I am a bit excited about the game. Also, don't want to get complacent. I'm part of me says 2-2. Two, two. I think there's gonna be goals in this. I wouldn't be surprised with either side winning as well. But you know what? I'm going to stick with a 2-2. I'll be happy with a draw away from home. I feel like you guys will be up for this. You can't get another defeat, especially after what happened at the Liverpool game. So I'm expecting goals in this game. But of course, thank you for having me on, on the broadcast and all the best for the rest of the season.
2: Matt, let's steer the show back over to you for this final part. Crystal Palace to come on Saturday as we count down the games, the minutes, the seconds. Of this season. What a season it's been. I mean, it's been fair to Palace. They've been involved in a big few scorelines themselves recently. They got a 4-3 win over West Ham last Saturday. They scored actually five earlier in April against Leeds, winning 5-1. And I think, you know, Palace will come to Tottenham. I mean, I think what they arguably say, they need a point to be safe for sure, but they're playing and probably can come with more of an expansive brand of football. How do you see this one playing out for you, Matt? I think we're at that
0: stage of the season where playing a team uh, in mid-table, nothing to fight for is extremely dangerous. Um, there, there's, I think the the kind of hope that they can come and, and not have anything to play for and not really care what, what happens. But there's also the fear that they come and they have nothing to play for, so they express themselves and so they have a little bit of fun. And and that seems to be what, what Palace have been doing since Roy Hodgson came in. You know, he, he's just tweaked that that attack a little bit and and played players in their actual positions cc patrick Vieira. Um, and, and it's working it's working really well like you said they're they're scoring goals they're they're winning games and they they've got themselves out of any sort of danger um, so and they're obviously going to look at tottenham we've conceded what is it 11 12 13 goals in the last week um, they they're, they're going to be confident that they can come and they can they can get a few in the score sheet and i, I wouldn't be surprised if we end up seeing another um, another high scoring game uh, I, I look I just hope like I said earlier about the the kind of phases we saw in the Liverpool game that we that we just play good football. We play the Tottenham way we press because we showed how effective that was. We you know we we actually try key possession, we try to bring the game to Crystal Palace. It, it's the worst thing that we could possibly do to sit back and, and let Palace control a game at the Tottenham Stadium like we've done against so many teams this season and looked absolutely useless. We, we we can't afford to do that. Um but it's it's I think like every Tottenham game that's remaining this season, all four of them, who knows? we could win 4-0, they could win 4-0, it could be 0-0, it could be 4-4. You know, (laughs) I don't think anyone really, really knows. But um, one thing for sure is that it can't be as painful as as what Sunday was. So, hey, it's progress, isn't it?
2: Yeah, we'll keep the faith. I know Tom Brooks (laughs) is very kind. He's sending a number of messages, Tom. Hopefully, I say we're going to keep the faith ahead of the weekend. Big, big game for Tottenham, of course. Depending on how you see it in terms of European football ain't coming over to you, because, again, that is still to play for here for Tottenham. As much as for some, it's not going to be a necessity... Or an importance? How do you see Spurs approaching Palace? As we've said, Palace really can come into this game with a bit more of a freedom than what they've had to yeah. really since Hodson's taken over. Do you see Spurs putting a performance at so home given the last couple of games?
3: Um, I could see them trying to fight because they've got the pace of Zaha, Eze, and Alise.
2: Obviously, with that second half performance from United and Mason, do you, do you not feel that we will see a bit more of a front foot Tottenham against Palace? Or I, how do you... I hope so, Rick.
3: I, I really yep. hope so. You know, for me. I want to see us on the front foot. I want to see us go at And it's one of our only last games of the season at home. So do something, do it for the fans that travelled or, or go into the game. Um, and then, listen, of course I want us to win, but I just yep. think we will go 1-0 down because we're so easy to play against. So open.
2: What do you think for you, Anfield? What What's the most important thing you want to see from this Spurs side of the weekend? I mean, is it now just a case of playing for a bit of pride? I mean, I think it's fair to say that as fans, we've had a really difficult season. And if though down the road, don't win the league. When you see how together they are as a group and the way in which they have really come together and united, you know, what for them was a broken fan base. You've got Tottenham right now. It's a real painful, painful period for us. What's the most important thing you do want to see from Tottenham on Saturday against Palace?
4: I think the most important thing I want to see is some fight and um, I want to see the... Go forward, I want to see them press. I don't want to see any more stupid, sloppy mistakes at the back. That's probably asking a bit too much from them. It depends which Tottenham come out and how we start. In my it opinion. needs to go
3: four, two, three, one. Done. That's my that's my that's my that's my that's my take on it.
2: This is the thing, you know, if we want to play a brand of football that is front foot, it is hard to do that when you see the gaping holes at the back and players that just at the moment don't feel they want to even defend. Again, I just wonder with Palace where what we'll see in terms of a lineup. I think it's going to massively change. Do you see many changes to that lineup Matt, at all for you? I
0: think he's going to start in a three-five-two, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll be happy with that. You know, it, it could be Decky in as a third midfielder, like it was against Liverpool for part of that game. Um, and look, in kind of the theme of the night, trying to take positives from what is a far from positive situation. You know, we can see the five to Newcastle in the first twenty-one minutes tweak the formation. Things improved. We can see the three against Liverpool, tweak the formation, things improved. So, in, again, in this part of the season, like I was saying, when for me the season is over, finding what works best for us, finding what absolutely doesn't work, is, is something that we can take forward into next season. You know, we, we don't want to see the stairs of games that we're having, but at least we're learning exactly what we need to avoid doing. Um, but it's it's not just tactical, the the, the reasons that we're exactly. conceding I think it's it's exactly it's it's pure it's purely a mental thing. And for me, I don't understand why. We've seen so many Tottenham teams over the years who have no fight and who have no mentality. And every time they go to Liverpool, they concede five. Every time they go to Chelsea, they concede six, this, whatever. I've never seen a Tottenham team that only has fight when we're three or four goals down. And And it was like like that for so much in the early part of the season as well, especially after we came back from the World Cup. You know, how many times were your second half FC where we go 2-0 down and, and we don't lose the game it's 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 just so strange that that's the moment that, that things turn around for us and imagine if we had that fight from the first minute of, of many of our games this season imagine from the first minute against Liverpool first minute against United um came from 2-0 down at Brentford if we had it from the first minute of that like straight away that's that's seven extra points that we have and we're in the we're, we're right in the race for top four If you know, these, these things really really add up at the end of the season and it's you know again it's not a tactical thing it's it's only to a certain extent a personnel thing, but like I was saying with the, the winners we brought in in the past, they just seem to get infected is the word I'll use by the mentality that's there. Um, there needs to be wholesale changes with, within the, the culture of this football team, and that's a, a lot more easier said than done. But, yeah, look, let, let's just take, like I said, the positives that we can. Um, let's go 3-5-2 and just have a bit of fun.
2: Yeah. Matt, get your prediction, what are you going to go for, Bob?
0: <sighs> um, I'll go... <laughs> I mean, I might as well predict a victory because it's... I mean, know,
2: this is Crystal prepared. Palace at home. No disrespect to Crystal Palace. I mean, exactly. it's mad that we've been having these conversations, isn't it, like this? Really?
3: Yeah. This is something
0: um, like great for our own. He <laughs> 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 yeah, has a great point. Yeah, a great, I, I'm going to go 3-2 win because I, I think we'll, we'll get forward well, but I also know who we're playing at the back.
2: Okay. Right. Matt, thank you so much for that. Uh, and okay. let's go around to you. What are you going to go for? Well... Uh, I
3: think I said it before. I think I think we, we'll edge it 2-1. But okay.
2: It, it will be, yeah. 2-1. I was just as if you're going to be convicted, we're going to have some conviction behind the last one. You're actually are definitely saying 2-1, right? Uh, yeah, 2-1. I, can't,
3: I can't bet against us. No. I do
2: love them all. I know we do. I know you do. Anfis, come around here. What are you going to go for for you?
4: I think we're going to edge it 2-1 as well. That's what I think is going to happen. I think they're going to score first and I think then we'll come back. That's Interesting.
2: My okay, well, listen, we shall wait to see what happens. And thank you so much, my friend. It's been an absolute pleasure having oh, you back on.
3: Lovely to be here, Rick. Love, love being on the show. Thanks, Matty. Thanks, Anthula. And good luck with everything, people.
2: Absolutely, Anthula. Lovely to be back on last one on Spurs. Of course, you are part of the Tottenham Hospital supporters trust. We are doing a good catch up with those guys. Probably will be over the course of the summer. I don't know if you want to give a reminder as to how if people wish to. Go ahead and obviously be part of the Top 1 Supporters Trust, how they want to do that.
4: Yep. So you can sign up on our website, which is www.thstofficial.com. Uh we're also holding a consultation process on the 9th next week for the Fab. If you want to know more information about it, please join us. So yeah, thank you.
2: Fantastic. I'll like say again, I think with we just on that Anthula, again just to make that point with the with the Fan Advisory Board is those that actually, you know want to know more about it, this, is, again, is a great opportunity to do that because, again, there's a lot of scepticism around it, as you've said. Uh, but ultimately, I think we've got to say that the proof is only going to be in the pudding as such as to when that does actually happen in terms of knowing how much actual overall influence, direction, control there is going to be for fans on there. But again, I think, like you said, I would I would encourage every single fan that does want to have a voice and does want to apply for that to most certainly do so. It's a great opportunity to, like I say, hopefully have your voice heard. But the reality is, guys, as I've said, I know as much about it, really, as anybody. I think it's not much, to be honest with you. The proof will be when ultimately that person is there to see what is happening and if there's any influence. So we shall see. Matty, thank you so much, Matt. I know it's been a another crazy up and down season on last one on Spurs. But as I said to you before we started, we have got the summer transfer shows to come, which I'm sure are always a good time to see who Spurs ultimately when aren't going to get Matt.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to do tactical analyses of players that end up playing with Bayern Munich next season. It's always, um, it's always fun, but a- absolute pleasure. Anthony, always a, a great laugh on with you, and Tula, pleasure to to meet you and learn about the the advisory board and Ricky. Always, always great to be on here. And I'll be honest, it's good to be back in the company of Spurs fans. For those who don't know, I was smack bang in the middle of the cop on Sunday, which is one of the loneliest experiences wow. of my life. So I'm I'm glad to be chatting with Spurs fans again.
2: To be fair, that you did warn me even before, and it could get quite rough in there in terms mm-hmm. of. I think you knew what was coming. I mean, the timing of it, you can't, but oh, yeah, horrendous, horrendous. But bless you for that. Guys, thank you so much from the wonderful Anthony Costa, from the brilliant Anthula, and the wonderful Matty Hayes. We've been the last word on Spurs. We are back with you on Saturday night for instant reaction to Tottenham Hot Spur up against Crystal Palace. But from all of us here, please, as always, guys, keep safe, keep well. And as always, come on, you Spurs.
4: Sports Social Podcast Network.